Hey, bub. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked, The Wolverine Show. It's the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is tell you about Wolverine. I'm your host, Ryan. Today's episode is our fourth episode in our Silver Samurai Month. This time we are taking a look at one of the few turns of superheroics. One of the first times and uh, one of the major times that Silver Samurai found himself fighting for the good guys. We are going to visit the 1998 limited series called Sunfire and Big Hero 6, starring Silver Samurai. So Sunfire and Big Hero 6 was a three-issue limited series that premiered in 1998. The cover dates are September through November of 1998, so it was probably closer to the summer that we actually saw these things on shelves in comic shops across the world. And based on how this series starts, like the way issue one is written versus the way issues two and three are written, it's written by the same guy, all three issues. But I feel like maybe when it was first pitched and first greenlit and the writing process began, it wasn't supposed to be a limited series or it was supposed to be a much longer limited series because the way the first issue is written It feels like the first issue of an ongoing series. It's about putting this team together, and it kind of takes its time to get there. And then the next two issues, they kind of have to rush through everything that's going on. We get like a rushed origin for the villain, and then the whole third issue is a showdown. So like I said, it kind of feels like maybe this was originally greenlit as a longer limited series, like a six issue or even a 12 issue maxi series, or it was originally supposed to be an ongoing, but either way we got three somewhat larger. They're, they're about 28 pages long, give or take. And they, it, 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 we still got like a good three issues. Like even though it was rushed, it still feels like it's a full story. Um, I just, yeah, I going back through, I just feel like maybe this was supposed to be, you know, another ongoing, I think by this point, 1998, Scott Lobdell, the writer of these three series, he was off the X books. Uh, he had written throughout most of the nineties. He was the main writer on uncanny X-Men as well as X-Men. He also wrote several of the, the mini series, that had come out uh, throughout the nineties the and such, as well as being the guy who, uh, you know, jump started and then wrote generation X. He'd written on Excalibur for a, a brief period of time in the nineties. He was on X factor even for a couple fill in issues. So he was all over the X books for the better part of that decade. But by the end of the decade, by like 97, 98, he was kind of off the two flagship X books. And, And maybe this was just kind of like his last hurrah. He's like, hey, I have this one last story to tell about Sunfire. You know, we didn't get to do a whole lot during my run. So, you know, if I can just have a couple issues. So so maybe that's what happened. I don't know the whole story, but yeah, it just felt 
pretty quick. Now, these three issues, I didn't find them on Marvel Unlimited. It's possible they were on there under a different title and I missed it, but the title of the series is Sunfire and Big Hero 6. Now, some of you who are listening, you may never even have heard of Big Hero 6 until the movie came out in, I believe, 2014, 2015. It was one of those one of those years. And it was an animated Disney movie called Big Hero 6, and it was loosely based on this team that's featured in the comic books. Now, I knew that Big Hero 6 existed. I knew that they were a Japanese team, that Sunfire was part of them, but I had never actually come across these three issues myself. There was uh, an Alpha Flight series that had relaunched. It was like volume two of Alpha Flight had also kind of relaunched in 97 or 98, somewhere around there. And Sunfire's story uh, was told a little bit in the, the early pages of that series. And then we had a few appearances by Big Hero 6 in the pages of Alpha Flight as well, uh, thanks to some unfinished business between Sunfire and Department H. But again, I mean, those that was a pretty niche book, and it was hard to find that book on shelves, even at comic shops. Now, the grocery store by my house where I ended up getting most of my comics Instead of having like a spinner rack, they just had like a, a little newsstand area in the back corner of the store and they had various titles and stuff. They had, you know, Amazing Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man and they had X-Men and Uncanny X-Men and they had a couple other titles. Every now and then they'd have Wolverine. They usually had like a Batman and a Superman. They had like Gen 13 for the longest time and I have like a ton of those comics, Uh but one of the things that they had done is they actually carried Alpha Flight for like the first six or seven issues. So I, I only briefly remember the Sunfire stuff in those early issues. And I don't recall that I was still collecting or that it was still available at my store by the time Big Hero 6 appeared in the pages of that ongoing series. But the reason why I knew about Big Hero 6 and their connections to Sunfire is thanks to the game X-Men Legends. So X-Men Legends was a game that came out in uh, the early 2000s, probably 2001, 2002, maybe somewhere around there. And it was on like the PS2 and the Xbox and like the Nintendo GameCube. Like that's kind of how far back that first X-Men Legends game was. And both of the X-Men Legends games were kind of broken up into different acts. And each time you got to a new act, there was a thing in the game where it would ask you like 20 trivia questions or 25 trivia questions or whatever. And if you answer them correctly, you can actually earn in-game experience to level up your characters. And there is a random question in there that asks a question like, what Japanese superhero team was Sunfire a part of? And the answer was Big Hero 6. And so that was pretty much it. Like that was my one connection to Big Hero 6. So when I heard that there was a movie coming out, a Disney movie coming out called Big Hero 6, I had no idea if it was just coincidence that it was the same title or or what. And then having seen the movie and, and not really knowing anything about the comics, I had no idea if Hero and Baymax and, and Go-Go and Wasabi and Honey Lemon... I, and Fred, like I had no idea if any of those characters were even in the comics or what. So I, I went into that movie with, with 
complete with a completely blank slate. Other than the fact that I knew that it was the title of a comic book from way back when that featured like a, a relatively obscure X-Man. Uh, I, it was a, a complete blank slate. And I, I loved that movie. Um, I would love to sit here and talk about that movie for a whole episode, but unfortunately, you know, silver samurai is not in that one. So I don't get to talk about the movie itself too much, but it is, it's a fantastic movie. It's a great superhero movie. It's a great family movie. Uh, there, there's action and there's humor and there's heart and all the characters are so fun and they all look really cool. And especially Baymax. I mean, Baymax is funny. He's adorable. And even when he gets his armor, you know, his armor upgrade, he looks really cool. Now, the premise of the movie is this like, I don't know, 12, 13 year old genius uh, who's pretty much an orphan other than like he's he lives with his older brother and his aunt and his older brother goes to like a tech college, like a really famous, really fancy tech college. It's the whole movie is set in the fictitious city of San Francisco which is an amalgamation of obviously of San Francisco and and Tokyo. So there's all kinds of different iconography from Tokyo and from San Francisco, and they kind of meld them together. So you have like a Tokyo tower type thing and you have like a golden gate bridge type thing, but it's, you know, it's like a, the, the parts of the golden gate bridge, like the two very end points, instead of it just being like the normal golden gate bridge, they're like Torii gates and stuff. So they, they bring in a lot of that sort of style and that like architecture that you would see in Tokyo or even downtown San Francisco, they meld it together and make this fun, immersive world. And the characters are so great. It's this whole big thing where, uh, hero, the main character by being like a genius, he's kind of jaded and, and, out of touch a little bit with with reality and finally his brother like brings him over to his school and he's like hey you know we we do like a tech show every year and if you win the tech show you can win a scholarship and come work with us like in a real lab and not just this little lab you have up in our attic bedroom that we share and stuff and so hero goes and he, he he loves what he sees and his brother introduces him to his creation which is like a a nurse robot named baymax a personal healthcare companion and he's got all this programming and stuff to diagnose and treat all kinds of injuries and illnesses and stuff. A really great idea. I mean, he meets all the other kind of people that, that are friends with his brother and then he enters the tech show and he like wins the scholarship, but then there's like this accident and there's a fire and his invention is destroyed. And like the teacher guy apparently dies and his spoiler alert his brother dies and stuff and so it's a it's a little while before he finally kind of moves past his grieving where he's really able to get things going but what really kind of kicks him out of it is like one day he accidentally turns baymax on uh, and like baymax reminds him of, of his brother and then he also realizes that he still had like one of his little robot thing from his tech performance and it like wants to join the rest of them, which he thought they were all destroyed, but they end up following it. And there's some bad guy with this really cool mask and he's been using like heroes, robots and stuff. And hero realizes that this guy is a bad dude. And so he goes and he recruits like all of his brother's old friends and they kind of become this superhero team. It's just, it's a really good superhero movie and it's a family movie. It's like, it's on par with the Incredibles. It's really good. And, and I really liked it. And some of the characters, Hero and Baymax and a couple others, Gogo and 
Honey Lemon. The characters that are in the movie, they're actually in this comic. So I think without further ado, we can probably jump into Sunfire and Big Hero 6. So like I said, it's written by Scott Lobdell. He writes all three issues. We have Gus Vasquez on pencils for all three issues. And the rest of the creative team is the same as well. We have Bud LaRosa on inks. We have Leanne Denham on colors and letters by Richard Starkings and Comic Craft. And the, the comic is told, all three issues are told from Hero's point of view with first person narration. And it starts with like a personal lamentation at what appears to be the grave of a fallen hero. And as we go through Hero's narration, we find out that he is at like Sunfire's grave. And we get this sense that Hero was, uh, he's this big fanboy of Sunfire. You know, he believed that Sunfire was Japan's greatest hero. And I think a lot of people in Japan in the fictitious world of Marvel uh, would agree that Sunfire is like their greatest, you know, national hero. He's akin to their Captain America, their Captain Britain, their Red Guardian, their Vindicator. You know, like he is the preeminent superhero in Japan. It's not to say that there's aren't that there aren't other heroes in Japan or that there aren't also a lot of villains or anything, but Sunfire was like the main dude. He he was the guy that he got to be an X-Man for a while and he's just the greatest national hero. So Hero himself is here and he's talking about the fact that like he really looked up to Sunfire and all that and and he's like, you know, it's one of those like, hey, I, I hope I bet you're wondering why I'm I'm here and I'm saying these things. Well, the story started a few days ago, you know, one of those. So we cut to we, we cut away from this like grave thing, which is like kind of like a shrine. There's all these candles lit and everything. And we cut back a few days or, or maybe a week to like an early Friday morning. And we see this like 12 year old boy in bed, being pulled out of bed by what looks to be like this hulking Frankenstein butler type dude. And he like throws this kid in the shower and we learn that this kid is Hero. And that the guy that's doing this to him is Baymax. And Baymax is Hero's bodyguard. And he usually looks like he's some sort of like a valet type thing. But then every now and then, if Hero is in danger, he'll transform or he's he refers to it as synth forming into this like green monster looking thing he looks kind of like a like a dragon meets a gargoyle and and that's like how the story begins we actually get this this fun couple of panels where we're in hero's room and there's like all these posters of sunfire on the wall and like on his desk across the room he's got a couple of science books and stuff but then he's also got all these newspapers and all the headlines are all about, you know, Sunfire saves the day and Sunfire helps the X-Men win, you know, that sort of thing. And so you get the feeling that, yeah, this kid, like he's telling the truth. He's a huge Sunfire fanboy. And we learned that Sunfire has disappeared and he hasn't been seen in Japan in a few days or maybe even a few weeks, perhaps even a month. The, the time frame I don't remember, uh, that hero specifically calls out, but it's been a, a specific amount of time, a pretty decent amount of time that you'd be worried, like where your heroes are if, if, if you haven't seen them in this long. Um, and he, and so he kind of mentions, you know, like uh, it's been a couple of days or whatever since we've seen my hero Sunfire, but 
I don't have time for that because I got to get to school. So Baymax takes Hero to school. When he gets to school, it's like this prep school where uh, you kind of get the feeling that there's like a lot of really smart kids that go to this school. But even so, Hero himself is leaps and bounds beyond all the rest of his peers. And because of that, you kind of get the sense that he's kind of an outsider. He's kind of picked on for being a little different, not necessarily like bullied, but maybe he he's not as close with his, with his peers at school. Even the ones that he gets along with, he's not as close to them as like, you know, your typical middle school aged best friends. Um, the, you know, they, they have friendly relationships, uh, but it seems that maybe at most all of his classmates are just acquaintances of his. But he gets there, they're kind of teasing him and he's kind of teasing them and stuff. And he notices that at the school as everyone's getting ready to go inside, there's like this beautiful older girl, maybe even like a young woman, um, just this blonde girl who's over under a tree and stuff. And when he when Hero sees her, he kind of stares a little bit and they make eye contact and she smiles at him. And he's thinking like, oh, wow, I've never had a beautiful woman smile at me before. This is amazing. But then, you know, the bell has rung to get into class. So everyone's just kind of pushing him through and he doesn't get a chance to to go introduce himself or probably more likely go make a fool of himself. Uh, either way, so he gets into class and he's giving a presentation about why the recent earthquakes and things were not Sunfire's fault. And he finishes his presentation and his teacher just says like, oh, that's fascinating, which Hero then kind of says like, well, that's kind of her answer to every everything I say when it goes over her head. So again, you get the feeling that Hero is smarter than not only all the rest of his classmates, but probably the faculty here at this school as well. But, you know, going to the school is merely a formality for him. Um, either way, you also kind of get the feeling that he's a little irreverent about stuff, maybe even a little cynical about people around him. He he kind of has this uh, a precociousness to him, but also, like I said, a level of cynicism and irreverence even. Um, either way, his teacher, after his performance or his presentation, really, his teacher says, all right, well, great presentation, fascinating stuff. Um, go to the principal's office really quick. You know, you've been uh, you've been summoned to the headmaster's office. So Hero's like, um, okay, whatever. This is a little out of out of the ordinary, but I, I've been summoned, so I'll go. So he gets to his headmaster's office and finds that his headmaster is actually not in there. Instead, there's just this random, you know, somewhere. I think Hero calls him like a middle-aged dude, which means he's probably like 30. And he gets to talking to Hero, and we actually see that this is Silver Samurai. And Silver Samurai is talking to Hero and he's like, look, here's the deal. You know, you've been singled out for your amazing intelligence and I'm here to uh, offer you the emperor's invitation to become a government worker. Like we think that you would be a tremendous asset to the government and therefore the people of Japan. And of course, Hero's a little nonplussed about this with his you know cynicism and reverence and all that. He's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, whatever. He's like, aren't you Silver Samurai anyway? Like, weren't you a criminal? Like, you used to be a criminal back then and stuff. And Silver Samurai's like, oh, well, you know, like, I'm reformed. I've had some things happen. And the clan that I'm on, like, we've had our honor restored. And so, like, I'm no longer that guy. And it's time for me to, like, give things back. And what better way to do it than work for the government? And, of course, Hero's like, well, you know, I'm trying to deflect you. So maybe you should ask my mom. <laughs> and, uh... 
And Silver Samurai says, we did. She said, no, but we still think you'd be a tremendous asset. So think about it and uh, let us know. And uh, Hero's like, oh, well, okay, I, I, I'll think about it. And so he leaves for school and the next scene, he's actually at home later that night and he's talking to his mom and he, and he straight up asks her, he's like, you know, one of the best things about my mom and I is we have just a very honest relationship with one another. We're very open. And so if I ask her, she'll probably just tell me. So he does. He says, Hey mom, like I was at school. They called me in. It turns out it was the government. They wanted to recruit me to this, like, I don't know, think tank or task force or something where I can use my intelligence for, you know, the greater good. And his mom comes clean. She's like, yeah, they came and they asked. And I said, heck no. Uh, she goes, look, I have no, uh, I have no, there are no, uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, bub. A huge mind fart there. Uh, she says like, the, she doesn't believe for a second that he's ever not going to grow up and be an asset to the country and serve the greater good. She pretty much says like, I have, you know, no doubts that once, once you've grown up, that's what you're going to do. She says, but before your dad passed away, you know, I, I made a promise to him that I would let you enjoy your youth, that I would make sure that no matter what happens, you get to live out your childhood. You get to be a kid because at some point in your life, yeah, you are going to be a grown up, and this is most likely what you will do. So I'm going to say no. Even if the emperor himself were to come here and beg, I would say no, because you are a child and you deserve your childhood. And and that's enough for Hero. He's like, you know what? <laughs> I agree. My mom's right. I, I'm just a kid. Like, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to look at girls. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And yeah, you know, eventually I'll be an adult and I can use my superior intellect and uh, be an asset to the nation. So he goes to bed satisfied with his mom's answer. And I think it's at that point where we cut to an interlude and we see the Silver Samurai at the headquarters for Big Hero 6. Uh, I don't think they actually ever say it in the story, but in the late 90s, the way that Marvel Comics would kind of do their stuff, they would have like the front cover be like this fold-out cover. And on the inside of the cover, it would have like a rundown of the whole team and stuff. And it would tell you like previously in the pages of whatever. And it would give you a rundown of all the major players and stuff. I actually really liked it. it, it looking back, it is kind of gimmicky, but I liked it. It was helpful. And you would find out that like Big Hero 6 is like government sponsored, but they are actually funded by a private corporation, which is called the Geary Corporation. And you kind of get the feeling that this is uh, the Geary Corporation headquarters, but all it says is like in a building without an address. Um, and we see the the leader of this group, like, you know, the suit that's in charge and he's talking to the silver samurai and he says, you know, we don't appreciate failure. Uh, you know, we sent you to recruit this kid. So by all accounts, you know, make sure that you recruit this kid. I don't want to see you fail at like your first mission as a leader of big hero six. And uh, I think we're also at this point where we confirm that the blonde woman that Hero had seen at his school was also a member of Big Hero 6. She works with the Silver Samurai. Her name is Honey Lemon, and she has the power to reach into like her mystical purse. I think they call it like her power purse. And she's able to pull out any item that's needed, 
a glass of water, a blanket, a motorcycle, whatever. If they need it, she can reach in there and grab it. And the, the cover blurb thing says that it's a mystical purse. So pretty much it's like her pow- her superpower is that she's carrying a bag of holding. And then next up we have Gogo Tamago. And I think that's a pun. I'm not fluent in Japanese. I've had some Japanese lessons and I remember some vocabulary. And I'm pretty sure that Tomago was egg, which I guess makes sense because her name is Gogo Tomago and she has the power to transform into like an energy ball. And her costume is like this yellow spherical shaped thing. So I guess, you know, she turns into an egg type deal and like, you know, she can propel herself kind of like cannonball, but instead of being a human cannonball, you're just like this human egg shaped thing that propels all around. That's her power. She's also introduced as the hothead of the team and that she doesn't like anyone. So that's like our, our brief little introduction into Big Hero 6, although technically at this point they should really be called Big Hero 3 because there's only three of them. So we go back to Hero's house and we see that he's asleep in his bed and it hasn't been that long. He even mentions in the comic, like, I've been asleep all but 10 minutes when, you know, this alarm starts to go off. So he gets out of bed and we realize that this alarm that's, that's you know, binging, he walks over to one of the walls in his house and he like flips up the wall and inside he has this like tracking monitor, this big green like digital map of all of Japan and in some random place, there's a little flashing thing. And Hero looks at it for a little while. And then he looks at Baymax and just says, he's back. And we don't know who he's talking about. But, you know, based on the fact that the story is called Sunfire and Big Hero 6. And that we know that Sunfire has been missing up to this point. It's pretty obvious who it is that is back. And so, yeah, after that point, the script the screen the scene changes and i think i may have i think i may have jumped the gun i think it's after this scene that we go to big hero 6 headquarters then we check back in with hero and at this point we see that hero and baymax are at like an abandoned monastery in like the countryside of japan and he he walks in and he's like walking through this this monastery baymax is like I think I can't remember at this point if he's in his monster form yet or if he's still kind of just like walking around as his like butler guy. But eventually Hero and Baymax come face to face with a man in shadow. And once the man comes out of the shadow, we do in fact see that it is Sunfire. Hero was right. He has found his hero. Of course, upon seeing his hero here and in the flesh, Hero goes crazy. He's like, oh my gosh, it's you. Like, I can't believe you're back. I'm so excited that you're here. I knew you'd come back and all this. And of course, Sunfire, you know, he he levels with the kid. He's like, look, kid, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm glad that you're glad I'm back and all that. But like, here's the deal, man. Like, I'm here because I'm dying and I wanted to die at home. You know, I, I came back here because this is where I want to be when I die. And here's like, Oh no, that can't be, that can't be true. Like if you're dying, I can help you. I'm really smart and all this. 
And Sunfire's like, no, I've gotten help. I've been getting help from Department H in Canada. And it turns out I have radiation poisoning from, you know, using my mutant powers for all of these years. It's to the point now where I really can't control my powers anymore. So it's best if you stay away. And like, as if on cue, he loses control of his powers. He ends up shooting some atomic flame towards Hero. He's still enough in control that he doesn't injure Hero or anything, but it happens. And yes, I, I said I couldn't remember if Baymax was in his monster form yet. This is actually where he where he synth forms into his, you know, gargoyle dragon form. And it looks like he and Sunfire are about to throw down. There's like some heated, there's a, you know, heated exchange, some words where it's like, you almost hurt the boy. And like, I'm here to protect him. So I guess this is it. Like it's come to fisticuffs, you know? And at that point, the rest of Big Hero 6, at this point, Big Hero 3, they arrive on scene. Gogo, the hothead who doesn't like anybody. She's not all that impressed. A honey lemon is very compassionate. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's Sunfire. Like we need to figure out what's going on. And he pretty much says like, I'm out of control. I, I, I can't control my mutant powers. And now I'm like causing all this flame and whatnot. And so silver samurai is like, there must be something we can do to put out the flames. And, uh, I think hero mentions like, Oh gosh, if only we had like a radiation dampening blanket, <laughs> we'd be able to like, you know, douse them with it. And that would be the end of it. And, uh, you know, Honey Lemon reaches into her bag and she's like, oh, a radiation dampening blanket, you say? And like, just, you know, casually pulls one out and throws it onto Sunfire. All the parties involved have like this big, long talk. And at the end of it, it's decided that Sunfire is going to go with Big Hero 6 because if anyone in the world can help him, you know, Department H couldn't do it. The Japanese government early on couldn't do it. And but now maybe the Geary Corporation who's in charge of Big Hero 6, like maybe they can help. And he kind of trusts his cousin because for those of you who may have forgotten, Sunfire, Shiro Yoshida, he is the cousin of Mariko Yoshida and Silver Samurai, Kenyuchio Harada. So he he goes with his cousin back to the headquarters of Big Hero 6, we, we presume, and Hero and Baymax return home. And the issue ends on like a final splash page, Hero and Baymax walk into their house and they see his mother's clothing on the floor with like a pile of dust all around it as if his mother was vaporized right then and there. And like standing above her clothes and like the dust pile is this like ghost looking samurai looking guy. He, he looks kind of like a samurai or a ninja, but he's also like a ghost looking guy. And Hero walks in and he's like, ah, Hero, I believe in this series, it's, his name isn't Hiro Hamada. That's what his name is in the movie. It's like Hiro Takachiho or Hiro Takachiho. Uh, and so he's like, ah, Mr. Takachiho, like, welcome home. You can see that your mother is gone. Like, don't worry, she's not dead. But, you know, I will kill her if you don't join my side and do what I say. And Hero's like, what? And then it, the issue ends with this dude being like, ah, yes, you know, now you're under the, you know, the employment of the Ever Wraith. And, and that's the end of the first issue. Uh, so like, like I said, it's like, it's a very slow moving first issue. Like it almost feels like this was written to be a longer, like a six or even a 12 issue series. If it was always intended to be a limited series, if not like the first issue of an ongoing, like 
you introduce the point of view character, you introduce some of the team, you introduce the conflict, and then you introduce the villain, right? That's what we get in this first issue. But in a three issue series, like we should pretty much already know all the players involved. We should know all of this stuff. Like we should have spent more time with the villain to get their point of view, as well as the hero's point of view, and then go in from there and introduce the conflict, resolve the conflict in the second issue, and then have like the final showdown in issue three. Right. And, and they, they kind of get onto that scale. Like they really, like it really quickens up the pace here really quickens up in these next two issues. But like, we don't really get a whole lot of go-go and honey, except for like some brief exposition to explain who and what they are. Like, yeah, we're using Sunfire and Silver Samurai who are known entities and have been around for a while. And then of course we have the POV character in hero. So like we know who hero is now we've had a whole, a whole issue from his perspective. Um, and then from there we jump into issue two, which like I said, should go by a lot quicker um, and then even issue three was like pretty quick. So the second issue actually begins again, back at big hero six headquarters for like six or seven pages. We get mostly um, exposition between Sunfire and the people that work here at the Geary corporation, as well as like honey lemon. So there's all these tests being done on Sunfire to see if in fact there is a way to save him if like department h had actually been doing what they said they were doing and were trying to save him and just failed because it's impossible and by the time we get to the end of the scene like sunfire has pretty much decided like yep i'm dying and and this was this was the final thing like there's nothing that any of the scientists can do i'm going to die so here I am like, that's it. And at the very end of this scene, like all these alarms start going off and we get the sense that, Oh dear, like there's an attack or something happening at the big hero six headquarters. And the page turns and we actually see that it's hero and Baymax and the duo has busted their way into the headquarters. And then we actually see that the reason why they came here is they were ordered to come here by the Everwraith to hack into the big hero six computer system and like steal some specific information. I don't even think that hero ever says what information it is that he's looking for. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is that they were sent here to do something. And so they're fighting their way through like all these armed guards, like all these different suits and everything. And they're trying to get to this computer room. Eventually they fight their way through and hero begins to hack into the system. Luckily, you know, with this being big hero six headquarters, they've got some heroes at, the, at their disposal and they send silver samurai up against Baymax and hero. And we actually get like a fun page of like monstered up Baymax and the silver samurai fighting each other until at the end of this page, you know, these five or six panels, uh, silver samurai defeats Baymax. He, he knocks him down. He incapacitates him. And I love this, these, this page because in the first issue, hero kind of had a problem with the silver samurai. And he'd mentioned even in his narration that he doesn't really like him all that much. He, he kind of thinks he's overrated and has pretty much given Japan a bad name. But he takes the time here during this battle with Baymax to like kind of go back on his word to kind of praise 
Silver Samurai, he's like, you know, I always thought this guy was kind of a chump and he was a bit dated and all that. He's like, but seeing him in action as a samurai, like he's pretty darn good. Um, so good that he even beat Baymax. And so even though Hero doesn't necessarily like the Silver Samurai at this point, you can see that he's starting to like respect the guy's skill at the very least. Uh, but once the Silver Samurai defeats Baymax, then Hero is like, oh, um, well, hey, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of here and stuff. And I, I've been thinking more about your your uh, offer and on all this. You could tell it's a stalled tactic. Like he really needs like 10 more seconds until he's done hacking in and like downloading the information or whatever it is that he needs. Um, and he he does. He like catches Silver Samurai off guard and the Silver Samurai is is distracted with like the chat that he's having with Hero. Uh, but before Hero can finish his download and somehow make his way out of the headquarters, Gogo comes to the rescue. She comes flying into the room in her little like energy sphere form and like knocks Hero down and like knocks the the computer over or something. I don't know. She short circuits it somehow. And she tells Silver Samurai, she's like, you know, the kid's just like distracting you because he's just trying to download information from the computer. And, you know, that kind of upsets Silver Samurai. He's like, yo, kid, what gives? Like, what the heck? And, and, and Hero comes clean. You know, you'd think that he would try to come up with an excuse and try to get out of there. And instead he's like, all right, well, here's the deal. This bad guy took my mom and he says, if I didn't get this information that he would like kill my mom and destroy Japan. And unfortunately, you know, like I need Sunfire because Sunfire is the only one that can save the day, but this bad guy kind of wants Sunfire. So like, you have to let me talk to Sunfire or else, you know? So Big Hero 6 is like, all right, if that's what you need, like we're on your side, kid. Like we're going to help you out here. And then, you know, you're going to be on the team. So sure. Like, let's get you hooked up with Sunfire. You can tell him what you need to say. And so they send Hero in to like this little waiting room at first before like, Silver before Sunfire is ready to see Hero as a guest. So they put Hero in this room and he notices there's like all this medical information and stuff up on the walls, but he's not really paying attention. He's kind of preoccupied with the fact that he has to tell Silver Sand or has to tell Sunfire something. So he kind of glances at it and stuff, but doesn't really it doesn't really sink in. And even his narration is like, I wish I'd have been paying more attention because like I could have saved Sunfire, but by the time I realized what I was looking at. It was too late. Uh, anyway, so then, so we, we go to the next scene. Hero goes in and he's talking to Sunfire and he's like, look, here's the deal. There's this bad guy. He's got my mom. He's going to destroy Japan. He says he needs to fight you or whatever. So like, you need to come help me. You need to come save my mom and, and save Japan and, and all this because like, you're our greatest hero. And Sunfire is kind of like, nah, you know, I've given up. Like I'm going to die and there's really no point. So you know, I really appreciate it and all that. And like, I'm sorry, but nah, I'm just going to like lay here in this bed and, uh, you know, await the Reaper. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Like it, it actually upsets hero. Like it makes hero angry rather than, than sad or anything like that. And so hero's like, Oh, well, you know, I came here looking for a hero and all I found was a chump. And he leaves, and and that's the second issue. So you could see what I mean where it's like the next few issues, uh, two and three, are like super rushed because that was it. There's like four scenes in this whole comic, 
and it's the same length as the first issue. It's the same length as the last issue. It's just roughly 30 pages worth of, of story here. And yet that's, that's pretty much issue two. Like in a nutshell, those like four scenes, the, the beginning scene with Sunfire, the scene where Hero breaks in, and then the scene where Hero goes and talks to Sunfire. There is, however, one brief interlude, and it's like right after Hero tells Big Hero 6 why he's there before he goes and meets Sunfire. So we actually do check in with the bad guy. We check in with the Ever Wraith to get his origin, but it's very anticlimactic it's like two or three pages long and it's literally the ghost dude standing on like the balcony looking out over the city of tokyo and he just exposits to us the reader like i am the ever wraith and i am the uh you know the astral personification of all of the people of japan past present and future and like i was born in the aftermath of the you know, atomic bombs from world war ii when those dropped all of the souls from from both of them uh instead of leaving to the next plane they all joined together and formed me so i'm the ever wraith and he's like you know and i always blamed america for what happened but what i realized is like in the aftermath of this this unspeakable tragedy japan rebuilt itself bigger and better than it had ever been and so because my goal is to save the people of japan i realized that i have to create like another tragedy here in japan in order to like goad all of the the japanese people out of their complacency with like i don't even know where this is even coming from like there's nothing about there's like nothing complacent about Japan, at least not in the late 90s. Like I think by the late 90s, maybe Japan's economy had fallen to like the third robust economy in the in the world after China. Uh, but I'm not sure if it even happened then or if that wasn't until the 2000s. But like Japan was right there with us for the technology boom and everything and and all that. So I I don't really quite understand exactly what the ever wraith is talking about like i i feel and maybe i'm an outsider you know like i don't live in japan i'm not part of that culture so maybe inside the culture there is a, a at least in the late 90s there was like a big feeling of like cultural stagnation but i don't see that looking back at japanese pop culture at that time it seemed that it was booming just like most of the other uh civilization you know industrialized civilizations in the world you know like sure there was the y2k thing coming up that everyone in the in in you know technologically advanced nations were concerned about but like i feel like the late 90s there was there was optimism you know we were like like at the turn of the century and we had only to go up from here like we had made these huge advances worldwide and in, in technology and stuff and like japan was very much at the forefront of that so i don't know I just like, I don't quite understand this, this bad guy. He's like, he's kind of a weak villain. His origin is really ambiguous and strange. And it was weird that they just like threw two pages or three pages into the second issue and just had him like tell the reader like, Oh, by the way, this needs to be done. So I'll just like, I think maybe they showed hero's mom is alive and like tied to a chair in like the back of the room. Um, and so they can get away with the fact that this guy's like telling Hero's mom all of this stuff, but 
it just seemed really clumsy and it was like, well, we have to do this. So we're going to shoehorn these like three or four pages into the second issue. And that clumsy origin aside, like the rest of the issue, like just over in a snap, like there's like four scenes, Sunfire, Hero versus uh, everybody, and then Hero talking to Sunfire. And like, that's it. That's that's issue two. (laughs) And so that takes us into our issue three, our finale of Sunfire and Big Hero 6. And the best part is like they waste absolutely no time. The issue begins and they're already in the showdown with the Ever Wraith. Like they're in Tokyo. They're having this showdown with the Ever Wraith and he's trying to like all of the stuff that he just told Hero's mom that I just covered. He goes over that again for like the first 10 pages of this issue, uh, but it's like interspersed with some battle. So we have uh, we have Gogo going into her like energy form and she blasts herself at the ever wraith, but he's like intangible and he's also mystical. So he just like stops her in mid air. And then um, at that point, they like, they decide uh, silver samurai is like, well, um, you know, the bad guy's right. Uh, we can't, we can't win. So I I guess we're not going to. So I'll tell you what, like everyone retreat, like I've got this. Meanwhile, Baymax is also like, yeah, the, the ever wraith is right. We can't win. We can't touch him or whatever. So like hero, we're going home. Like Baymax grabs hero. He's dragging him away and stuff. And hero's like, no, like I, I want to stay and fight. Like we got to fight this guy. And, and Baymax is like, nah, you're in danger, bro. Like I got to get you out of here. And so Hero's like, okay, but if you get me out of here and this guy destroys all of Japan, like I'll still be destroyed. So we might like, it's more important that we stop him than run away. And so, you know, with that logical loophole, Baymax is like, all right, I guess we have to stay. Um, and yeah, that's when Silver Samurai is like, no, 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 no. Like don't stay. And, and Honey Lemon and Gogo, you don't stay either. Like everyone get out of here. and silver samurai like charges up his sword and he fights the ever wraith you know he he, like cuts the wraith because his sword allows him to cut through anything right so he cuts through the wraith he cuts the wraith into a bunch of pieces and the guy's pieces fall there's no like gore or anything like that because he's like an intangible thing but needless to say he like chops him up into several intangible pieces which then fall to the ground and silver samurai is like all right done like victory guys we did it and i actually like we get a few moments here too where hero takes the time to praise silver samurai again and one of the things that he says is like you know um silver samurai he worked for viper he worked for hydra he he worked for his clan he he had ties to the yakuza he had all these things that he had been fighting for but it was nothing that he had ever believed in before And now as the leader of Big Hero 6, he finally has something to fight for, his nation and his people. And and Hero like praises him for that. He's like, it's really great that he's found this because somehow he is better than he's ever been. And I just like that they're they're praising Silver Samurai and that we're focusing on this part of his character because in the 90s, they focused on that a lot. Like, Yes, he worked for Viper. He was opposed to Mariko 
joining the clan. He didn't at first, he didn't think that they should be getting out of the crime and the Yakuza stuff, but eventually he kind of came around to Mariko's thinking and, and, and agreeing with her vision for clan Yoshida. Eventually after her death, he takes over the clan and he's able to kind of finish the mission. You know, like I believe her sacrifice, uh, her death brought about the final deal where they pretty much sold all of their criminal stuff to, uh, Tetsuo Matsuo Met, I'm forgetting his name Tetsuo anyway that like divested all of their criminal stuff and so at that point you know Silver Samurai was like bringing the clan now that they are fully legit he was like bringing the clan back to their honor like for Mariko's sake and he did he turned over that leaf and and he became a hero in his own right and so I really enjoy that we at least get a page or two while he's doing this like selfless battle with the ever wraith where hero himself is praising the silver samurai. Unfortunately, it doesn't actually get the job done because the ever wraith is well, a wraith. He pulls his parts back together and he like intangibly jumps through silver samurai and it's enough to, I don't know, turn the silver sand, like to knock silver samurai out for a little while. And he's like, who's next? And at that point, Sunfire arrives, you know, I guess hero calling him a coward in the last issue was enough. And Sunfire's like, you know what? If I'm going to die, then I'm going to die fighting the greatest threat to my home country in the present day. And that is this bad guy. (laughs) and I like when he gets there, he's like, all right, here's the deal. Like I'm here, I'll fight this bad guy, but like, what does he want? What are his demands and stuff? And they're all like, Oh, we didn't even ask him. Like he told us that he was going to pretty much cause a, a, a national tragedy to kind of go to the Japanese people into being industrious again. But yeah, we didn't really ask him like what he wanted or how he wanted to accomplish that. Um, so that's, pretty much like the first thing that Sunfire does. He's like, all right, well, like, what's the deal? What are you doing? Um, and he is pretty much like, yeah, um, I'm going to cause a national tragedy because, you know, I'm ashamed of the Japanese people and how lazy and complacent they are now. And so he unleashes a bunch of like his energy, his wraith energy. And I don't, I'm not exactly sure exactly what the point of all this was, but it like, it turns all of these billboards into solar panels or something. And I guess he's going to overload them. Like, I think he wanted Sunfire there to like overload all of these panels to blow up Tokyo, I guess. I, I'm, I'm not really quite sure exactly what he was going to do with all of it. But we see that like Hero's mom is, atta- is like tied up to one of the solar panels as well. And then the solar panels, they actually start like siphoning all of the energy from inside of Sunfire. So maybe that's what their their thing was, is they were going to siphon off all of his energy and then overload. Either way, I think they were all supposed to explode. But luckily, uh, Honey Lemon pulls out some like nectoplasm, which apparently, or necroplasm, which apparently is enough that if she throws it on the Everwraith, it will, in fact, make him tangible. So she does that, and then Honey Lemon and Silver Samurai like beat up the Everwraith 
Sunfire is like weakened because his energy is being siphoned. Hero sends Baymax to go save his mom from one of these like solar panel things. And then finally at the end of it, we have like our final showdown. So like Hero's mom is saved and they've pretty much defeated the Everwraith, but all they have to do now is like destroy all of these solar panels. And at this point is when Hero kind of, re- it, it kicks in what Hero saw back at the lab, which was that like Sunfire isn't dying of radiation poisoning. What's happening is he's he's he has this buildup of bio of a biokinetic charge inside of his body and what's happening is it's like a different charge than the bioatomic power the which is what his mutant power is so there's something else going on here it's not radiation poisoning but it's like this weird energy that's inside of him that's that's fighting against his mutant power and that's why he keeps losing control of it and so heroes like um yeah, man, like, I don't know. I thought that that was part of the experiments at Department H, but I guess maybe not. And and Sunfire's like, heck no, they didn't say anything about biokinetic energy charge building up. Like, I must have been lied to. And, you know, I've got a bone to pick with Department H. And so now that he knows what's going on, somehow, like, immediately, Sunfire is able to harness the biokinetic energy merge it with his bioatomic energy. And I guess, I don't know. He's like, look, here's, here's what we're going to do. Like I'm going to go supernova, I guess. Um, and pretty much just create like a, an explosion. That's like as strong as the sun. He's like, but what I can do is like contain it so that it only destroys the ever wraith and the solar panels and probably all of you guys. <laughs> and they're all like, well, you know, like, we don't have time to get out. So I guess this is it. And all the heroes, including Sunfire, like, you know, I, I, I'm incredibly proud of all of you. And I'm, I'm so glad to, to die on my feet for the country, you know, standing side by side with all of you courageous people and stuff. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a nice moment for this team that this is really the first time we've ever actually seen them come together. Um, and, and then he does like, that's what Sunfire does. He does this gigantic, explosion that well it does what he says it's going to do it destroys the solar panels it destroys the ever wraith and it destroys sunfire and you're probably wondering like okay well but how did hero and and the rest of big hero six get out and we find out that like at the last minute honey lemon pulled out a humvee from her bag and they all drove away um it must have been like a humvee with turbo or something or even teleportation powers but they all managed to get out of this blast that destroyed the bad guy and that destroyed Sunfire. Last, we're taken to the, you know, the scene where the, the whole story began. We go back to Sunfire's funeral thing. And first we see Silver Samurai talking to the one suit guy from the Geary Corporation who's like, yeah, you know, it sucks that you guys lost Sunfire, but you saved the day. You came together as a team. And even though your tactics were a little... Um, off the wall a bit, you know, they were a little unorthodox. Uh, I still approve of the results. And so, you know, I'm going to go make a a recommendation that big hero six move forward and, you know, silver samurai, since you're the leader, I have, 
uh, a proposition, like we have a lead for a new sixth member. And so I think you should start tracking down that member. He doesn't say who it is or where this person is, but he says, you know, I, I think it's time you find us a, a replacement sixth member. And then we're taken to the very ending scene, which is hero, like inside the, the shrine thing, like praying to, I guess for the, for that, for uh, Sunfire's soul to be taken care of, you know, and, and Gogo's being like very rude and stuff about it. Like, well, you know, the, the old guys shouldn't have died anyway and all this. And then Honey Lemon comes in and she's like, no, no, let him grieve. And then Hero waits long enough and Sunfire arrives. And he's like, I knew if I waited long enough, you'd come. So naturally, Sunfire is shocked that, you know, Hero knew that he was alive and he asks him and, and <laughs> Hero gives the, the typical fanboy answer where he's like, of course you're alive. You know, you're Sunfire. You'll always survive stuff. And Sunfire's like, yeah, that that's as may be. Uh, but, you know, now I have some unfinished business. Apparently I was being lied to by Department H. So I'm going to go have to ask some questions and get to the bottom of some stuff. And Hero asks if he needs any help. Of course, Sunfire does not. And uh, he does tell Hero that, like, he's his friend. You know, like, that they're, they're friends now. You know, they're on, they're on the same page and all that. And it just kind of ends with, uh, again, with, with Hero, like, re-eulogizing him, saying, like, his name is Sunfire. Some say he was, the, he was Japan's greatest superhero. I don't know if that is true. I only know he was my hero. He was now and forever. And that's it. Like that is the end of Sunfire and Big Hero 6. So uh, a fun three issues, a, a very different Big Hero 6 than the one that we got in the movie when it finally didn't come out. And just a very, just interesting little chapter in, in Sunfire's or in Silver Samurai's life as well. Like, I don't know if, uh, if any of these characters ever appear in other silver samurai centric stories. I certainly don't recall ever seeing these characters in any other silver samurai stories after this. I mean, maybe there's some crossover with Sunfire, uh, but the other characters, no, not so much. I, I can't remember a time that I'd ever seen these characters in the comics. Now it does end by saying, look for more exciting adventures of big hero six in the upcoming pages of alpha flight, which again makes sense since we know that Sunfire is going back to Canada to have a chat with department H, but yeah. Um, like I was saying, I'd, I'd never read those issues. So, so there you have it. That is Sunfire and big hero six issues one through three. All right, bub. So that will do it for today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed hearing about Silver Samurai's turn as a superhero and all about the first appearance of Big Hero 6 in the comics. Very different than what we got in the uh, Disney animated movie, uh, but uh, still somewhat enjoyable. Like I had a good time going through these three issues. And of course, that ending, you know, look for more Big Hero 6 in the upcoming pages of Alpha Flight. Like that's pretty cool. Like I mentioned, you know, this is an Alpha Flight series that I had begun reading, but then eventually it just kind of fell off, and I don't think that I was ever able to get those issues. So uh, this was a fun look back, and of course, seeing Silver Samurai really kind of step up as a hero in this 
three issue limited series was pretty cool. So Bubs, as I always say, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can find me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked, or you can reach out to me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode and check out the track Back From The Dead, a piece of music written by the very talented musician Retcon X. He's not been around for a few years now, uh, but his stuff is all still on YouTube and Spotify, so go check him out. It's all a bunch of original music inspired by the X-Men in this upcoming track inspired by none other than Wolverine. Make sure you guys all tune in next week as we finish out Silver Samurai Month. We take a look at a uh, backup story in, I think, the first three issues of Wolverine Volume 4, which is called The Last Stand of the Silver Samurai. So tune in for that. And of course, we're going to take another look at Silver Samurai outside of comics, his brief appearance in the Hulu animated series Hitmonkey. So again, tune in next week for all of that good stuff. Make sure you check out Redcon X. Until next time, bubs.